Over the Hill, Spike Milligan's script. Terence Allen Milligan, that's his real name. Terence Allen Milligan, Over the Hill comic, age 73 OAP. Has diverticulitis, hiatus hernia, and piles. Takes three Calmers tablets uh, a day and several uh, glycerin suppositories. No media success since the Goon Show. Cannot stand Black Adder. He is desperate for his own series. Has tried many ways to get back into the BBC. To Goompot. It's a bit of a lengthy conversation this week. I'm joined by a fellow podcaster and someone whose voice I've been aware of for over 10 years. It's Meds from the Waffle On podcast, which is a, a film and TV podcast, which has been going for many, 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 many years. And a podcast which I've, I've been a fan of for God knows how long. And Meds came on to talk about um, Spike and a particular documentary. But to be honest with you, the, the moment he joined me, we, we started talking about anything and everything. Um, music, films, TV, actors, all sorts. And so it was a bit difficult to know where exactly to drop into the conversation for the purposes of this podcast. Uh, let's join the conversation where, where we've been talking, me and Meds have been talking about the film Mona Lisa, and which obviously led to us talking about the actor Michael Caine. Well, what's your favourite Kane film of all time? Oh, no. Oh, that's difficult, isn't it? Because I love Get Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. You know what? I, I'm going to go Man Who Would Be King. <sighs> that's probably my second. That's probably my yeah. second. Yeah. So what's your, what's your, what's your favourite? Um, it's, it's, it's got... I've, I've become fonder and fonder of it over the years mm. through, re, through re-watching it, even though... Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> sleuth. Yes, it's sleuth. I thought so. <laughs> I know some. Okay, if you if you turned around and said water, I would have uh, left. <laughs> I know somebody, a grown man, with mm. you know, a very intelligent grown man who watched yeah. Sleuth, had never seen it before, and was fooled. By, oh really? Yeah. And I'm not going to spoil oh, it wow. for when he hasn't seen it, but he was fooled. Yeah. Up until probably up until about two thirds of the way through, and then he, I think he, it, it tweaked. You know, you know what though? That's not a bad thing because it means he was totally engrossed in the film. Yeah. You know, it's like I, there's nothing wrong with that. That's brilliant because the fact that that he's enjoyed that film more than than you know, or so who, who knew what was going on. Yeah. Trouble is, I know what's going on because if I have such a irritating habit of when I was younger, I had my Bible was Halliwell's Film Guide, and I yeah. adored it. It was you can't get them anymore, mainly because of the matter of films, but. <clears throat> I would I would go through the book and I would underline everything. And I'd starve everything and I'd make notes of everything. And that's that's why my knowledge of film is re, is re, you know my, my knowledge of generally anything else and you know is is shit. But when it comes to films, I I know everything and everything about it. only because I I adored that book. 
And so now, nowadays, obviously you've got like Wikipedia and you've got all that kind of stuff, which is a bit cheating, but I end up over analyzing and looking at everything whilst I'm watching the film. And it, it's, it is a bit annoying. But so when a film comes out, you don't know anything about it. A bit like um, Usual Suspects, let's let's say that, or, or even um, uh, Sixth Sense, right? Yeah. I, I didn't get I sat in the cinema and I did not, I didn't get it at all, either film. And uh, right at the very end, you know, the revelation in, in, in Sixth Sense yeah. and you go, yeah. oh, man. And then you think, I can't wait to rewatch exactly. that again because I'm not going to look at yeah. it. So you're, gonna, you're guaranteed you're going to have two films, that two different films. And Usual Suspects, that blew me. That mm. just blew me away when, when he suddenly starts walking normally. <laughs> and you're there going, what? Unfortunately, I don't feel like I, I know you should That say, man we but... can't talk about anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I don't feel like I, I want to watch it. It's a bit like Rolf Harris, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I used to love I used to love like two little boys and really can't listen to that song now. <laughs> All right then. Uh, um, just getting back to Sleuth, by the way. What I'm sure yeah. I'm sure you know this, of course. But what's mm. the connection between uh Sleuth and the Smiths? Sleuth and the Smiths? Yeah. Uh, the band. Yeah. I'm may I hate the Smiths. Oh, do, oh so right. I'm asking I, no, I despise the Smiths. Oh, okay, well, I, get, I, I appreciate the writing. Yeah, you know, I appreciate the writing, but it just sends me. Go on, you can tell us, and then I'll tell you. Right, do, about do you know one of their biggest stuff. hits? Uh, this charming man, the song "This Charming Man." Yeah, it lifts a quote from uh, Laurence Olivier directly out of Sleuth. Oh, uh, okay. He, in 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 Sleuth, he says he calls Michael Caine's character a jumped-up pantry boy who never knew his place. <laughs> Oh, okay, that's good. Oh, yeah, that's good. Like and that. Morrissey lifts that wholesale and inserts it into the lyrics of um, this charming man. A jumped up pantry boy who doesn't know his place. A jumped up pantry boy who never knew his place, he said. I, I was on a stag do in Sheffield a good few years ago for my mate who's, who lives in Brisbane now, and... Um, and we was we was out there, and we had this conversation about music because he's a he's a massive music. You no, know, he knows everything and everything about music. You know, he's 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 about a year and a half younger than me, but he still has the energy of, of when we we're like mid twenties, late twenties. And he he he, he says, oh, I love the Smiths, and, I, and we had this big old debate about the pros and cons of the Smiths. And I was just going to be a miserable, you know, bloke and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And we went to a night. This was in Sheffield, and we went to a nightclub. And I am not joking you. We walked in. And every single person in that club was wearing Morrissey masks. And I looked and I was like, what the hell's going on? And they were giving out these Morrissey faces because it was Morrissey night and no one knew. And he was like, yeah, this, uh, someone's taking the piss. Yeah. <laughs> I was not, I was like, funny enough, because we'd have some beers. I was dancing around like a like an idiot with some loopings, you know. <laughs> Do you know that story? And we'll, listen, we've got to start the show in a minute. Um, but, <laughs> um, that story years ago, uh, Morrissey was due to play in London somewhere. And he, you know, hmm. I don't know if you know this about Morrissey, but he can be a bit of a, a temperamental bugger. And he decided, um, <laughs> I think somebody within 20 miles of the venue had been mm. eating a ham sandwich and Morrissey had heard about it. So he refused to turn up on stage. He, he refused to, uh, no, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but for some reason, <laughs> for some reason he decided he wasn't going to perform. And um, there were some celebrities in the audience that night. There was, um, right. there was Jonathan Ross and his very good friend, Russell Brand and uh, their very good friend, <laughs> David Williams. And they decided because oh, the audience were going crazy 
angry because Morrissey wasn't mm. going to perform. So those three decided to get up on stage and try to entertain <laughs> entertain the crowd. Oh dear. Um, let's just say um, bottles of warm piss came their way quite quickly. Oh, now I'm I'm a, I'm a I am a bit of a fan of Jonathan Ross. I must admit because I come from the uh, the year of knowing him from the incredibly strange oh, film yeah. show in the eighties, you yeah. know, and uh, and and he was still one of the best film reviewers. And I think he's wasted not doing film reviews mm, on TV. I agree. And I've I've recently started um, watching his program he did for I think it was Channel Four. Uh, going around places, and he's it's absolutely brilliant. You see the proper side of Jonathan Ross, the warm side of him, the the toy collector, the comic collector, you know. Mm. But I cannot stand David Williams. I he's him and James Corden, him James Corden and Morrissey. If that, that would be, that's my hell, that is. Do you know what I mean? I, I couldn't imagine anything worse. They're both, they're, all of them have got faces you want to slap. Yeah. Um, and also, I think they'll all, um, obviously, on the side, they're just pretty untalented people with great representation. But there you go. There you go. That's quite, you know, some people won't agree yes. with me on yeah. that. And fair enough. Yes, I hope I hope that their lawyers don't listen to this podcast. I don't care. I've got no money. <laughs> anyway, listen, we've been yakking. We've been yakking. Yeah. Um and um uh this is Goon Pod. Hello and welcome. Uh, if anyone is listening to this for the first time, you're probably not listening anymore, but if, if anyone is listening to this for the first time, this is the podcast where we talk about anything that has um, even um, even a, a passing goon connection. So that would include the Life of Brian film, for example, because Spike's in that yes. for about half a minute. Um, yeah. And as, as as you can hear, I've been talking to, um, uh, to a, a guest who... Uh, cards on the table time here. Um, hmm. I... Started listening to podcasts relatively. I've said this before on the podcast. I'd started listening to podcasts relatively early on, sort of yeah. um, late late noughts, I guess, sort of two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Things like Answer Me This, um, mm. Collins and Heron podcast, uh, and uh, the Trap, um, the Goodies podcast, mm. and <laughs> I discovered early on uh, a podcast called Waffle On. Oh, really? I did. And uh, and I think I'm I'm pretty sure it was because I was searching. You know how you search for topics and that. Oh yeah. Back in the day, and I was searching for anything or any podcast about Steptoe and Son. Don't ask me why. I was just I just remember <laughs> searching for Steptoe and Son, and mm. there was only one one podcast that came up, and it was Waffle On. So I listened to that because you did an episode. So, sorry, I'm talking today to um, one of the two hosts of Waffle On. <laughs> Uh, Meds. So, um, yeah. welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> um, and I better. I mean, Waffle On's been going for 12, 13 years, is it? Uh, yeah, we started in oh two thousand end of two thousand eight, two thousand and nine. We'd have actually deleted the very first episode because. The first episode was when Patrick McGowan passed away, oh, and right. we, so we did we did a couple of testers, and then that was the first one that was available to download. And it, it dawned on me, I thought, well, what a what a start! <laughs> the first episode, someone <laughs> in died. Well, I thought, yeah, mm. and I thought, oh, that that don't that don't work. But yeah, we've we've been pretty consistent every month. We we had a time where we might skip a month because we're both on holiday. Um, but yeah, we've been doing it since then. It it seems to have gone really quick. I don't know if you find this as well with with your podcast because you specialise in anything to do with the the, the goon show, and members of the goons, and production, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That obviously you're going to have dedicated listeners where you know they they they're, they're going to tune in because they they adore the the, the, the people involved. They adore me. 
Yeah, and adore you, your your beautiful velvet, uh, <laughs> velvet, you know, upside down tones. Um, but when we were doing the TV shows, we 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 had really, you know, because obviously there weren't many podcasts about. It. So we had good, really good listenerships, and we were kind of like in the top ten mm. iTunes, iTunes charts, you know, mm. for TV and films. And then literally all and sundry of famous people come along, and, yeah. and don't get me wrong, because I, I'm I'm a big fan of there's some podcasts I listen to. I'm a really big fan of Al Murray is is one with his history podcast, um, and I do like Gates McFadden's podcast uh, about Star because I, mean, I like Star Trek as well. But then suddenly all these famous people come along and literally it's so hard, you know, we, we, we don't get registered or anything. But the one thing we always said we podcast, and I don't know if you feel like this, is that we do because we absolutely adore our subject. We do. We tend to do films now and we, 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 we do in 1973 this year because I'm 50 this year. So it's Cal. So every every episode this year, this month, sorry, uh, in the year is, is dedicated to 1973. But we do it because we absolutely adore talking about these subject matters. We may not be factually right all the time. Um, the idea is that you're over, overhearing us in a pub talking about a subject you know yeah. and um and i think that's what podcasting should be about not not 100 you know not fantastic over-the-top productions and and all that kind of stuff but just talking about something you're passionate about and that's why i love your podcast i was listening to one the other day about um because i i, I, cha- I, I still work at the same company but i change jobs and i'm more kind of like managerial style so I, I used to listen to podcasts all the time walking around the place oh, hey, i'm listening to stuff. now i have to rely on listening to it in the car so i, I kind of met my half hour journey into 40 minutes but i, I absolutely i love your podcast but i was so enthralled about your peter sellers one that was on I, i'm sorry i can't remember your guest's name but the stuff i was the stuff i was learning i thought i knew a lot about peter sellers i did i didn't know anything I didn't know anything. And I was like, and when I got home, because I listened to it in the morning, I listened to it when I was coming back home. I, I thought, you know, I want to watch, I want to watch, um, what was it now? Come the film, uh, something Fox. After the Fox. After the Fox, which I adored great, when I was younger. Great film. Uh, and I thought, I'm going to watch it. And I watched it. And it was because I'd been listening to you and and, and your, your guest yep. talking passionately about P- uh, Peter Sellers. And it, it was it was just brilliant, and I thought, yeah, this is why I love podcasts. Doesn't, this is why I love listening to people who love their subjects. You know, yeah. Doesn't that film have the best ending? Um, oh god, um, yeah, and also best soundtrack. Oh yeah, the Hollies. <laughs> um, that that and um, the taking of Pelham one two three. That's a great ending. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the original. Yeah, yeah. Gets on time. Brilliant. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. Um, well, thank you very much, but. Um, very honoured to have you on today because, as I say, you're one of my early podcast heroes, and um, oh, uh, <laughs> uh, and 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 I made contact, and you said you'd you'd be delighted to come on, and um, mm. t- t- taking a while, yeah, it has, yeah, <laughs> real life and all that sort of thing, absolutely. Um, yeah. you, you decided to come on, or you, you suggested coming on to talk about um, uh, something to do with Spike Milligan, and so, yeah, so as as we're recording this. Which is uh, what first week of May, twenty twenty three. It's it's ninety years this week since the teenage Terence Allen Milligan, with his <laughs> uh, with his younger brother Desmond and his parents, uh, sailed on a second class ticket or tickets from Bombay for uh, a new life in the old country, mm. um, and this was in England that. Young Terence had never been to, and had only ever experienced through books or or family stories. And his first glimpse of England through fog was distinctly underwhelming. 
and uh, <laughs> a real shock to the system after a life mm. of, of relative privilege in India. Um, and Terence, of course, was in time to become known as Spike and went on to become one of the greatest and most influential creators of comedy in this country, certainly uh, in the 20th century. I think you'd agree. Mm. So, so Meds, what's your mm. what's your history with Spike? What's your you, you've grown up? You can't avoid him. Our age, you cannot have grown up in this country without without him. running into Spike in some fashion. So, what's your history with him? Well, this is the thing. You see, it's like I, when we were talking backs and forwards of what for me to talk about. Um, I was quite keen not to really go into great great detail about any of the the main cast because i know that people know a lot more that more about them than i do and frankly I, I don't know an awful lot because my introduction to spike came through monty python um i've i've been a dedicated monty python fan since probably the age everything seems to with me Everything seems to come about when I was I turned six in seventy nine. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because that's where everything uh, my memories really kick in. But I like, became a massive fan of Doctor Who then, um, and Monty Python was always on our TV. And my mum and dad um, said, "Oh, if you really like Monty Python, you really like the, the the stuff that we used to like." And of course, that's almost like the kiss of death when mm-hmm. when they say that. Mm-hmm. You know, we know that. And they they started talking about. Actually, it was Peter Sellers they talked about. Now, obviously. The Pink Panther films is where I knew Peter Sellers from. Yeah, but then I because I think when you when you look at early early pictures of, of Peter, um, he's I don't mean this to be disparaging, but he he doesn't look anything like he does later on because he's he's quite a a chubby kid, yeah, you know, quite a chubby lad, yep. and he doesn't he doesn't look anything remarkable. And then suddenly, like towards the end of the Goons, he's he's quite chiselled and quite you know uh, ruggedly looking. So I didn't really recognize. I didn't recognize them at all. But I went to Birmingham Public Library, the, the, the main one that was in in the centre of town, and you could hire records from there. And uh, I, I, I was fascinated by the fact I could hire these records. And I hired the best of British, sort of like the best of British comedy, and the Goon Show was on it. And it was only about two tracks because the other stuff was um, Beyond Our Ken. Yeah, uh, Tony Hancock. Mm. You know, it was a compilation. It might even been like the best of BBC comedy or something like that, because I remember taping it. And I, I this is for ages. So it was actually through Monty Python and then listening to Spike on on these these records, and then seeing. Um, never really saw. Never really saw who it was because the Q series was a little bit beyond me because the, when it was shown obviously and I would not have been up that at that time was then seeing Spike on TV shows like Wogan and Aspel and Company and Russell Harty of course, yeah. uh, and, and all these things and I, I suddenly thought this man is who this documentary to be talk about in a bit but he looks incredibly old and I thought how old is this guy because he's he's talking as if he's about 20 22 years old, you know, he, he's talking and he's got the enthusiasm and a, a, a real naughty twinkle in his eye as if he's like 20 odd years old, but he looks like he's about 80. Mm. And then I recognised him in Life of Brian, you know, and then suddenly I started buying stuff of the goons and like getting the tapes and not the CDs, but getting the tapes that were available that you could buy from HMV and stuff yeah. and really enjoying them. And I then got into more like um, Kenneth Williams stuff and, and and all those kind of things. And I, had, I I could see, and fair play to Python, they always acknowledged Spike 
yes. in their you know the wider they never they never hid that they never hid it and they've always talked you know and they they, they really was happy when he he, he, he he uh when he was on holiday in tunisia and, and you know agreed to do the cameo which was meant to have been longer but he got bored of the filming and just walked off and that's the reason why he's only in that bit because <laughs> he got bored and just said, oh, i'm bored i'm walking up you know <laughs> Let us pray. Yea, he cometh to us like the seed of the grave. Well, I've also, like like many of us, I think, I'm, I'm I don't mean it's to say, um, like he's glorifying the horrors of war, but I've always been very fascinated in um, shell shock victims and um, the the stuff what happens when people suffer from from PTSD and all that. And when I found Spike had had gone through such a terrible thing when he was in the war, I kind of found it more interesting then because there's I, I don't agree. I think somebody says in his documentary the whole Al Murray says it about you know the the, the difference between genius and the, the horror of things they can make here. You know, we probably wouldn't have had the Spike that we know. If he, if the, what happened to him hadn't happened to him, I yeah. think we would have had a, a really good jazz trumpeter. I think we, I think we would have seen that. I think, and maybe even a painter. I could see that, but I don't think we would have had, had the comedy because darkness does bring, you know, to cure darkness. A lot of the time, it is in comedy, and um, and so I got more fascinated in that, and then started reading his stuff, you know, and 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 I found I found his stuff like his poetry, especially his dark poetry, really. Interesting. I don't have any favorite ones, but. I just found that really interesting. And the more I knew it, the more I got older, the more I kind of didn't, I don't want to say I didn't like him because that would be wrong because I really do. But there was something that unnerved me about him. And this documentary actually kind of really kind of solved a lot of the the, the, the thoughts I had about him because I'd, I'd known stories of what Peter Sellers had said. And I mean, and, and bless, bless Harry Seacombe. You know, I, I don't think... How could anybody say you can you can say you can say some bad stuff about Peter Sellers because he was a lazy father, wasn't a particularly nice person, but a comedy genius. You can't say anything bad about Harry Seacombe at all. You know you, you can't. The same with Michael Bentine, really. Um, but we we spoke, there was something that was quite unnerving, and I think they mentioned this in this documentary where even his own daughter says, you know, there's there's times when you didn't know, you know, what he was going to be like if you didn't get the Horlicks to him. You know, if he, if there was no Horlicks yeah. that week, then yeah. he would be in a terrible mood. But this, what's great about this documentary, and what's kind of like helped me out from when I uh, from falling in love with him in the late seventies, is you, you find out the reason why he was like he was, and I I just think it's such a beautifully made thing. But and to answer your to answer your question, uh, even though I've waffled on now, um, it was purely through Python. It was through Monty Python. Okay, so what we're talking about today is uh, well. Uh, Everything. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> but let me put it in a bit of context. So hmm. uh, uh, last year, um, Spike Milligan's family opened his archive to selected fans and friends. Hmm. And thus we got on Sky Arts in December last year, um, the 75-minute documentary Spike Milligan, The Unseen Archive. Hmm. Uh, and, and this documentary took us on a, a, a journey through his archive, which uh, 
includes 14 photo albums, 79 box files, 48 uh, boxes of film, I believe, mm. yeah. 244 reel-to-reel tapes. Um, it's, we see some um, uh, some of the labels on some of those reel-to-reel tape boxes, and that mm. sort of salivate over those. Oh, um, God, yeah. I mean, there's there's recordings of of the Goon Show. There's there's all sorts. Um, there's unpublished and un, unperformed novels and scripts from his later mm. years. Um, there's a heap of scrapbooks and and one of the things that we we learn from this film is that Spike was a meticulous um, archivist and, mm. and and chronicler of his own history, because there's there's at least eight I counted eight leather bound volumes of Milligan family history. Oh yeah, um, was that going back from 18, 1890 or something? Something eighteen eighty three or something. Yeah, yeah. And all these detailed scrapbooks and um, and albums, and albums that outlining his wartime experiences that he's put together with photos and, and hand drawn maps. And um, oh, that's beautiful. That is. Uh, and there's there's. I mean, we're going to touch on all these, of course. But there's mm. box, box files with letters, correspondence, and and just random memories that he's written down on bits of paper. And put in these box files, because uh, in one in one of these there's a there's an envelope containing a small child's toy. Did you, oh, did you see that? Which that's um, Joanna Lumley opens it up, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. he he discovered this small toy, which was one of his children's toys, which he'd discovered long after they'd um, put away such things and grown up, I guess. And and he he put it in an envelope, and he wrote on the envelope. You know that he discovered it in, hmm. you know, in in a, in the garage or something, and he said it it reduced him to tears. It's it's. I think it's. He finds it in the overgrown garden of that house, which was the first house they bought. Ah, uh, yes. And he go. He must just. He must have just kept it. Must have just owned it because they'd all moved away to a different place or something. And he he went back there, which he's searching for memories, isn't it? Psychologically, and to find that, yes, you know, yeah. the realization of. You know his his children, and that that comes across quite through this documentary of how he regrets his. I think he regrets his mental illness, but he can't help that. So he's been a bit hard on himself. Now, whether some of it was his own his own ignorance, maybe it could well be, but the way that he's it's when he looks at old photographs of his children. And it's not his fault because you know his wife left him, and I, I can kind of understand why, but. He's the one, you know, she says, no, you look after them. You've got the money, which is, so you have to question her motives a little bit on that. But how he takes, it, takes them on, but they look so unhappy. I, I think they just look like normal kids who don't want to have the photograph taken, but he sees something in those eyes. Oh, and well, that, must yeah. have, that must have been heart-wrenching for him to look back and think. I think we all do. I mean, to, I don't know if you have children or anything, but yes. um, my, my daughter's coming up to 14 this year. And I know it's a trope to say, because loads of people have said it, how time goes so quickly. But it really does. And and oh, I, does. I don't have yeah, in fact actually when I'm sitting in my office here, that I have got photograph albums now that I'm I'm doing scrapbooks. I've got loads of scrapbooks to the left of me, and I've got and printed all these photos out that we've had on phones, we've had on discs, because you know, when we were younger, you, and and I'm sure a lot of your listeners will have done this as well. You know, we had photo albums, and you take some photos, yeah. and you never knew what was going to come back from the development thing, you know. And then, but these days, you you you, just, you can take about eight pictures of the one thing, and it's there on your phone, and no one gives a shit about it. And then I thought to myself, 
and it dawned on me when I was watching this, especially when you were saying all these albums there, guys, the archives that he's kept himself, how important it is for you to put them in because, you know, we, we've all got our parents' you know, photograph albums, our grandparents' photograph albums, and they mean something to us because you can look back because they're not here for us to, for them to tell us those stories. And this whole house, this Stephen's House and Gardens in Finchley, is a pure record of comedy and also a man's life that we're never going to meet, we're never going to know him. But through this, and I understand the fact the reason why it's, it's only, they only opened it for friends and family because you, you don't want all them bloody sundry going in there. But how important it is to have this archives, and that's like with Mark, with Michael Palin, bless him, who sadly lost his lost his wife yesterday, which is yeah. just so yeah. sad. Helen, yeah. Helen, yeah, and but his diaries, I adore his diaries, you know, and I, I hope he brings another one out because it's a part of his life, you know, and it's part of Spike's life, and it's so important to have these treasures and that little toy. You know that just little toy, and I was wondered what it was going to be. And I think it's like—is it like a little a horse and carriage or something? I think it, it like is. A horse yeah. and carriage, isn't it? And you think, and it, you think these are memories that are just you know shooting back to him, and the fact that he put it in an envelope, wrote on the envelope, and and when Joe and the Lumley opens that envelope up, even she gets stoked by it. You know, it's amazing. Yeah, you mentioned diaries. Um, mm. we, we know we, we we've all read the Kenneth Williams diaries. Oh and, yeah, and all that they entail. Now, mm. as far as I know, Spike didn't keep a diary, but if he had <laughs> regularly, <laughs> to the extent that Williams did, could you imagine the Spike Milligan diaries being published oh. and what fireworks <sighs> they'd set off? <laughs> you know, I mean, they would be absolutely amazing, wouldn't they? I mean, it's like I've just started really reading the uh, Alan Rickman diaries oh, yeah. uh, literally today. I, I did, just before we talked, so I thought I'm going to just sit down and chill out for a bit and. Uh, and because I'd heard that he's he can be quite cutting in his in his diary, you know. And I think that's the everyone forgets that a diary is basically your feelings on that day, not necessarily what you're going to feel like tomorrow, you know. And Kenneth Williams' one is it's quite well. It, again, that's another upsetting one because this is a, this is a comedy genius who simply couldn't couldn't allow himself um, to be gay. You know, he, he couldn't yeah. allow himself to just enjoy his life. Even simple things like, you know, cooking, he, he you know, he, he kept everything under wraps, you know, literally cellophane on, on his cooker and, and all that. And it, it's such a sad thing. So I think Spikes would be possibly really depressing, <laughs> really depressing, you know, because we, we, we know him through, and again, going going back to this documentary, you know, and I'm sure it's been reported before, but we we enjoy his comedy. We enjoy the silliness of the goons, the absurdity of it all, um, the silly voices. You know, when you're young and you first hear the the goons, you don't really listen to the comedy. You listen to the silly voices, you know, and you try and work out who's apart from Seacom. You know, it's Seacom. You know, you can tell you can tell him a mile off. Um, but you know, you listen for the silly voices. But then when you realise how much it killed him writing the thing you know and how happy he was to get it recorded and and that was the highlight of his day and then he knew that he'd have to start again on the monday and then be in absolute hell for that week you know you, you can almost imagine his diaries just being pretty pretty sad really but again uh, who wouldn't want to read it well he'd, yeah, but he'd be you know? he'd, he'd be settling a lot of scores with people who he'd perceived as <laughs> having wronged him that day or <laughs> you know someone looked at him a bit funny well, that was, you know, unfortunately, that's, that's the problem with manic depressiveness, isn't it? Where, yes. you know, everybody, and yes. also he, clearly he suffered from, from severe anxiety, which which is, you know, equally as, as, as upsetting where the fact that he would have 
Modegan saying if he's with Peter Sellers, who, let's face, you know, had him sectioned. Um, I can imagine. I'd I'd love to read what he thought of him. <laughs> I'd love to read that. That'd be brilliant. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. So this documentary, it's got mm. it's got the invariably, it's got the 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 talking heads, the the celebrity friends mm. and fans. Yeah, thankfully, um, thankfully done done really well. They 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 are actually there, and they are actually opening books. Well, this is a treasure trove. This is the private property of Spike Milligan, tape recorded. I've seen Spike's original recordings of the Ging shows. It's unbelievable. Oh, that's the mighty Wurlitzer. Uh, the the person who shines for me in this is, I think, personally, is Ian Hislop because. As, as you obviously you know you've talked about um the the, the play um spike um but you you can tell that he he picks i think he picks up a tape in his lot does or he looks at something and he, he just now whether whether he'd seen it before and he was already prepared maybe it's tv at the end of the day but he reels off a load of information just by looking at this one couple of words and i i thought yeah you you know you not only have you wrote a play about Spike, but you know what you're talking about. And he actually, you know, really does look like he's in awe. And the same with Al Murray on that one, you know. But at least they're actually there and they're talking about it. One thing I can't stand about these documentaries you get a lot of the time is when they do the talking heads where they're clearly just in a studio and some of them have been told to say something. Yeah, they've been shown a clip of something and said... Yeah, say something wacky about it, you know, and it's yeah. like, oh, God. Pretend you, know. you watched that when you were, you know, eight years When you were old. young, yeah. I mean, the only, one, the only ones that have been doing some really good ones recently, I don't know if you've been watching them, has been on Channel 5 where they did... Um, uh, one foot in a grave. Oh yeah, I saw uh, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what was and let's face it, the person you want to want to hear talking about one foot in a grave, apart from the writer, is uh, Richard Wilson. Yeah. And Richard Wilson is there talking about it all the way through, it, and so is Angus Deaton. You know, and you think that's how you do it. You know, you don't just have someone who who was on Big Brother ten years ago to you know turn around and said, oh yes, uh, Spike Milligan, yes, he was a uh, mm, and re- you know real something off. At least for this documentary, they're actually in this house, which. Isn't it a gorgeous house as well? Oh, it is beautiful, beautiful. I mean, where? I mean, was that? Do you know if that was owned by the family or that was given to the family not, or something? I'm not quite sure. Because um, that would be expensive eventually. I had Jane Milligan on last year mm. on the show, um, and I've had El Murray, by the way. Um, Have you? Yeah, and um, oh, I've got so many of your episodes to get through. And <laughs> and David Quantic, who also turns up in this documentary. He, I'm a big fan of David Quantic. I was a massive uh, the Thick of It fan, so <laughs> he was an early supporter of this podcast. Actually, in the sense oh, fair that play. he um, he noticed the Twitter account early on, and mm. and I think he tweeted something like. I'm very heartened to see that there's a podcast out there which is all about the Goon Show or something like that. And wow. I contacted him and he came on. Um, but anyway, but no, I spoke to Jane last year, mm. quite early on last year, and, and I think she was in the process of putting this archive together and sorting it out. Um, and I should have asked her more about that, more about it, but I, I didn't at the time. The thing about Ian Hislop, which intrigues me, is that I've interviewed, I've not interviewed him, but I've had his writing partner, Nick Newman, on yeah. the show, mm. who's a lovely guy, Nick. Yeah. And Nick kind of intimated that um, he didn't he, he didn't say that Ian didn't like Spike prior to writing the play about Spike. But yeah. he said he he didn't say he he was indifferent. He wasn't even indifferent towards Spike, but maybe he was a little bit lukewarm about Spike Milligan before yeah. he actually sat down and started researching 
Spike's life for the mm. for writing for the purposes of writing the play, and listening to the Goon Show and yeah. and, and that sort of thing. And then he really had a real um, what was it Damascene conversion, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that kind of ties in. I had um, Louis Barth on as well last year and look at um, you name dropping oh and <laughs> clang sorry um but louis knows ian and, mm. and and told a story about uh, years ago um being at a uh charity lunch somewhere yeah um being sat next to spike or bent sat at the same same table as spike or something like that i can't yeah. quite remember now and ian hislop kind of walked up behind louis and sort of whispered in his ear oh bad luck bath you know, he's he's hard work kind of thing. Oh, really? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. So that would suggest that Ian Hislop was a bit, you know, a little bit ambivalent about Milligan before hmm. the and, and and then he's and then he's he's found out so much about his life and listened to the Goon Show and hmm. be, being able to appreciate the genius of the man. And I think that's I think that's probably got an awful lot to do with his journalistic background as well, especially with Private Eye coming from Peter Cook's, of course, you know, yeah. you know, pants at the end of the day. That uh, I, I think his lob is very much, and it's it's become a recurring joke now. On have I got news for you? Which is, I still like. Have I got news for you? It's a bit hit and miss at times, but I, I still enjoy it. But he, he kind of like he's very indifferent on a lot of things, and I get the impression with him that as soon as he gets. As you said, there you can see that as soon as he 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 gets into something, and understands it, he shows a lot more interest. I think when he doesn't understand it or it's beyond him, shall we say? Yeah. I think there's definitely a sort of like, well, why do I need to know? You know, and he's been a lot like that. Yeah, you know, you you question him on politics or anything to do with satire, and you know, you're gonna get, you know, you're gonna get a lot of information from him. But I'm glad that he kind of he got enthusiastic about it. You know, he seemed very enthusiastic on this. Uh, on this documentary, and I, I don't think they would have. I could, I could imagine the family being quite choosy, who they invited to to do this documentary. Uh, I can't imagine yeah. just if someone was a bit but it, off. Him, I think you know. absolutely. The, the the family are very fiercely protective, and they've obviously chosen carefully mm, who they yeah. who they invited to visit this archive. But the whole documentary, I was quite pleased to see that it wasn't a hagiography. Is that the mm. right word? Um, yeah, it wasn't. Mm. You know, because there's there's a sequence where two of his daughters are interviewed: Jane, of course, and yeah. um, and Seeley. Yes, and Seeley um, very much um, comes across as very you know speaks as she finds kind of person. Yeah, um, and and I like that. And she and she said very she was very open. She was very against what she called the racist element of her some of her father's work. Um, and she and she said, "I want to say to Jane sometimes, let's burn the lot." You know? Yeah, I I got I get I, when I first watched it, I got angry about that, and when I watched it again last night, I got angry about that. Did you? I really did. Yeah, I really do. I really get angry about that because um, I got hmm, I can understand why, especially the fact that it, because it's a family member and they created this. I mean, they're talking about coffee and chips, aren't they? I think that the, the this clip that they show where he's got half of his face is white and half of his face yeah. is is uh is Indian. My daughter watched that actually. She came downstairs and watched it and she went, "Oh, that's really clever." Now, 
she she she's she lives in modern day Britain where you know and the nice modern day Britain where we have multicultural and and I come from Birmingham so I, we've always me and Kel have always said this coming from Birmingham we know no different because we've always been brought up with Indian people with black people with Chinese people with gay people with Irish mm. it's you know we we don't we don't know any different we, it's it's to us it's you know it's simply not in our thing because we we know we know no different but and she's the same you know modern britain so that but she actually found it really clever the fact that it was a white person arguing with somebody of color and and the fact that they're doing it turning around she thought she liked it as an artistic point of view and i thought i didn't want to i actually you thought i'm not gonna i'm not gonna explain why people get upset by this because it's actually a very clever thing to do i can understand maybe his daughter going oh that's a bit touchy but with curry and chips I can understand why he isn't show now, purely for the fact that you know he's he's blacked up. You know, there's no question about. It. But I often wonder because the writing is really good. The fact that it's um, Johnny Spate, Johnny Spate, right? Who, let's face, he wrote he wrote in sickness and in health, and he created Alf Garnet as the the. Some people will say, oh, he was he created that character just so that he could he could view air his views through a character. No, I don't know. You can agree with that at all. No. no. Uh, and as Warren, and also Warren Mitchell, an incredibly intelligent man, um, would not have played that role anyway. And as he turned around many a time when someone went, Oh, Alf, yeah, I agree with you. He's thinking, No, you're missing the point. This is taking the piss out of you. And the fact that Alf always lost was very important. I think with Korean chips, if you'd have actually had an Indian actor playing that role. I think that would still be played today because that character, I've, I don't know a lot of the episodes. There's only six. I don't, I've, I've only ever seen clips. I've never seen a full episode. Right. So I, I have to apologize for if I get anything wrong here. But I think if you had an Indian actor playing that role, because he comes off, you know, you show that thing in the bar where he corrects the guy on his geography. He wins. He wins that point, you know. And in that time when he wrote, when let's face it, there was a lot of racism in in factories and and offices, and there was bureaucracy regarding that where people wasn't taking notice of it. In that scene there, he wins. And I often wonder if that if he'd wrote it and had somebody else play that part, an Indian actor play that part. I'm sure. I'm sure it would still be shown uh, now. If if anything, of saying, you know, look who the idiot is in his factory. Look who the bigot is. Look who the idiot. You know, the loser is the low intelligent one. Is the white guy making these racist remarks? You know, and so to say, oh, oh we should burn that. I don't. I just don't. I don't agree. I can understand not showing it. No, uh, you know, because because you're going to bring up arguments of of people who would, you know, people get offended. Well, no, these days people get offended for somebody else. I don't, think, I don't think I don't think Spike was racist. I don't think I, he I was think at she all. used the word no. racist in the sense that that's what people would say. Charged no. that people leveled leveled against some of his work, but um, no. I mean, Carrie and Chips is one thing. Mel- the melting pot. I don't suppose you've seen the melting pot. I haven't. No, no. no. Uh, that's pretty bad. But but oh, really? oh, but, okay. but, it, but it kind of it takes pot shots at every, at every <laughs> every minority. So it's like Dirty Harry. <laughs> it is, I suppose. Yeah, um, but anyway, look, let's move on for that because that's mm. it. But but look, Ian's looking at these reel to reels of Goon Show recordings, and there's an interesting. He picks up one that's got um, two shows on it from the from the eighth series of the Goon Show, the Great British yeah. Revolution and Africa <laughs> Incident. Yes, and you and and on the bo- on the box that the that the the tape is in, there's a big label, and and song for Anne is crossed out. Yeah. Um, and then the, the names of the two goon shows. And he's he's written Smite's written some comments about the shows. On <laughs> on the Great British Revolution, he's written 
good but quiet end. Yes. <laughs> um, and for Africa incident, V good, but the bastardo didn't record yeah. it all. <laughs> That's brilliant. That made me laugh so loud. That did. It's where that he, he didn't put he didn't put the bastard. He put bastardo. So even even his anger, he's quite. He's, he's still well, he, he's still laughing at that. Do, like, do you know my theory as well? Is no, go on, go on. My theory, because we know what Sellers was like for gadgets and recording things. Oh, geez, yeah. My my theory is that Sellers recorded this, uh, and and ah. purely purely on the basis that his wife Sellers' wife was called Anne. Oh, and I just okay. wondered whether Sellers had had originally taped some song or recorded some song. Yeah, for his wife and written song for Anne, and then crossed it <laughs> crossed it out. He'd, that wouldn't surprise you, would it? it he'd, really he'd, wouldn't. He'd composed some lovely tune on the piano for his darling wife, and then <laughs> and then taped over it with goon shows. <laughs> That's that. That would sum up Sellers pretty pretty aptly, I'd say. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think it really would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love that. Australian news footage from 1958. Oh, the ABC News. ABC yeah. News. Mm. Do you did you pick up? I because you see you see Spike, they're filming Spike getting off the boat as it docks yeah. in wherever Sydney or mm. wherever, and he's interviewed then by a reporter. Yeah, and I got the impression Spike seemed to be trying to put on a bit of a posh voice. Do you apply any form of logic to the scripts you write? There is a compelling logic to it. Everything we write uh, really is absolutely logical. You cannot deny it. Mind you, what we write, the logic we write, uh, might be, for instance, a man has to walk from here to there. I say to a man, I want you to go over there. Now, he can go from here to there by going the opposite direction, right the way around the world, and arriving there. So logically, he has done what I've said in the logical pretense, except he's completely missed the obvious point of, of walking straight across. That's the simplest uh, sort of example I can give you. There's, there's a few times when you see Spike interviewed, especially like in the 50s, where he he goes quite colonial British. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I mm. think that's probably his could well be his, his proper accent, you know, because that's what they would have spoke like in India, oh, so it kind of, it kind of think he's that could be his proper what proper voice because, uh, you know, yeah, I think that's his real voice in the early days, in the early days, and until probably he, he got more and more confident. Um, I think that's his real one. I tell you what, I did notice, you know, when he's been interviewed on that table, uh, what is it with? <laughs> he's going to sound really pathetic. I'm obsessed with hair. I don't know why, but he's got the um, Ernie Wise haircut. Where on the side, you know, normally with your hair, you kind of like you draw it down, don't you? Or you draw it back. Yeah. But for some reason in the 50s and the early 60s, they draw it forward. Basil Rathbone did it as well. I don't know why. Uh. It's the worst. You watch it again. It's the worst hairstyle in the world ever. Instead of like you draw your hair back, they draw it forward around the side. It's not like he's gone balls on the sides or anything. But he just sat there looking at it going, why have you done that? It just looks awful. Well, I tell you not what, what I'm supposed to be watching. <laughs> t- as we all know, um, as Philip Larkin said, um, mm. sexual intercourse wasn't invented until 1963. Yeah. Um, and that was when men stopped <laughs> doing their hair like that. Stopped doing their hair like that. Yeah, that's yeah. the atmosphere. But yeah, yeah that Australia, the whole Australian thing as well, in, um, with the uh, Gladys Half Hour, is is mm. brilliant. And he's like, then brings that thing up because I thought when I first saw it, because I've never seen that before. I mean, I've never I never knew anything about that. So seeing that clip, which is, you know, it, it's... Very funny. 
very pretty badly filmed but really funny hello homicide here hello homer uh-huh this is friday uh-huh tomorrow's saturday uh-huh that you saying uh-huh uh-huh i'll be right over hello sergeant riley here oh really no o'reilly old gag worth a try and you know he's he's holding various things as this the, the phone comment you know pretending to be a phone. It was the wrench that made me laugh. That was like <laughs> what the, that's ridiculous. But his lot point say that these are jokes we see in 1980 when airplane comes out. Yes, you know these yes. are all the same jokes. And you think one of the Zuckers must have seen his footage or wow. because he, 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 <laughs> he, 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 well I, I well maybe not or someone's copied it because that it's it's. I'd, I'd actually go and say that it's a little bit too early. Do you know what I mean? A little bit ahead of its time kind of stuff. Because someone might have just not have got that and thinking, what is this? What is he doing that for? Or is it the fact that British viewing, especially in the 50s, is probably still a little bit stiff upper lippy kind of thing. Yeah, in Australia, it's probably, they'll probably get it a lot easier, mm, a bit more laid back maybe. kind of point of view, you know, and thinking, look at this silly palm. I think I think it's more the thing of like they'd get that humour more because I I adore like Australian and New Zealand comedy. One one of my heroes who uh, was John Clark, oh, who, uh, Fred Dag, Fred Dag, who I got to know. Um, oh right, because I wrote a script. I have to be careful what I say, but I wrote a script and I did the thing you're not supposed to do. Right, I wrote the script with him in mind because I was a massive fan of the games, and I thought I'm gonna. You know what? People tell you you can't send it. I've sought this, so I, I had his email address uh, for his for various ways, and so I just sent it. I sent him an email saying hi, John. You know, blah blah blah, and he got back to me, and he was everything you hope, absolutely everything you hope. And we had a one and a half year email conversation. We got to know each other through, through that, and he said, uh, "Are you free to meet for a coffee?" <laughs> and I went. Not really. I'm in Britain. And he went, oh, right. So I sent him the script over. He really liked it. Um, but he said he couldn't commit because various things. And he, that was probably a polite way of saying no. And uh, our last communication was, um, you have a good holiday. And then he, he had a heart attack when he was walking. Um, mm. But he appeared in a film called um, the, the Adventures of Barry McKenzie. Oh, yes. Uh, and uh, uh, British people will know the actor who plays Barry McKenzie is the guy who sings the Neighbours theme tune. <laughs> ah. And, of course, John appears in um, that film and and he's, he's in the booth scene in the, in the pub, as everyone else is. I think they're New Zealanders. They're not Australians in that. They're all virtually New Zealanders because they needed somebody who, people who could kind of do an Australian voice. Yes. And to everybody around the world, nobody knows, knows you know, a Kiwi will know the difference between an Aussie and an Aussie will know the difference between a Kiwi, but the rest of the world don't know. So that's how they feel. But it's weird how those little comedy connections come in, you well, know? Um, Spike, Spike was in The Adventures of Barry McKenzie. Yes, well, that, was, that was also with... Um, didn't Les Patterson turn up in that? I, think I mean, Barry, blessing Barry Humphreys again, who we oh, lost but, recently. Do you, know, do you know what, Mets? Because mm. it's got Spike in it, that film, you could you could come back one day and talk about, talk about Barry McKenzie. Hey, that's not a bad idea, is it? I mean, it's a pretty crap film, I've got yeah. to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> one of my good friends thought that Stanley Kubrick had directed a film called, called Barry McKenzie. <laughs> what? <laughs> until, until I had to point out, no, it was Barry Lyndon that Kubrick... <laughs> directed 
<laughs> that, the fact that he he actually knew who what Barry McKenzie was. He's, oh no, he he's, wouldn't. He I mean, loves that's... he loves that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh that, no. I mean, we've all we've all done that. Anyway. We were, my my worst one of that was which my wife will, will and my friends. A lot of my friends are doctors. I turned and said, so we were talking about flowers. We'd all had quite quite some drinks. And I, I turned around and said, uh, what did I say? I didn't say it now. I said, oh, you know what? Wanna, I really like pansies and I really like perennials. And they all just looked at me in a very weird way. And uh, no, I said perineum. Oh, and so I went, yeah, I'd really, like, I'd, really, I'd really like to have some perineums in my garden. <laughs> and people just looked at me going, what? And they're going, you know. And I went, we know what that is. You do, what do you mean in your garden? Like, it dawned on me. I went, oh, no. And of course, no, that's it just like well, you and your mate. It won't let that one lie. <laughs> 40 years ago, you could have, you know, made a decent living writing scripts for Hilda Baker. With that kind yeah. of material. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never know. There may be time. <laughs> I don't think so. Nah. Uh, hey, back to the documentary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're straying off. We're straying off. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's a lot about there's a lot about this, his family and and yeah. like you mentioned before. Um, there's a there's a picture, quite a touching photograph of the young children, his young mm. children, and he's written underneath the the photo watching television their faces and their sadness haunt me the innocent oh. victims of adults unable to come to terms that is it's so heartbreaking isn't it because he's he says and this is another great thing about this documentary the fact that they use audio tapes of him uh when he was talking about for the for his autobiography for his oh, biography. Yeah. to pauline scudamore yeah yeah and he's so open with her and i think that's absolutely brilliant but you know he blames He's not afraid to blame himself for the failure of his first marriage. You know, he must have been an absolute nightmare to live with, but the pressure he was putting under, and he, as he says in the documentary, his mad desire to be better than anybody else, you know, he's, and, and that has such an effect on it. And the fact that he, up, to, up to, the, to the point of his death, he, he, the regret he has for... And I, I, when I first saw this, I was thinking, oh, man, that must have been his, his true love, you know, and it's not till later in the documentary where you realise there was somebody else before all that, you know, and that that's even more heartbreaking. But that's towards the end of the documentary. <laughs> it's, yeah, the, the whole June, his first wife, the whole June mm. story is still quite mysterious. Yeah. At least to me. Because, yeah, they, she left and he got gained custody of the children. Mm. Um. Well, she just gave them over, didn't she? Yeah, I don't think she. There was no. She didn't contest anything. I think it was. No, it was. It was. It was consensual. Um, but it 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 kind of it seems like from what I've read, and I might be wrong, completely wrong here, missing something. But from all the books over the years I've I've read about Spike and whatnot, Mm. um, it it doesn't seem as if June's children. So that's Laura. Seeley and Sean. It doesn't yeah. seem as if they really had any contact at all with her. Well, the fact that they, um, it was only the daughters on the documentary, wasn't it? There's, there's, yes. Yeah. And the grandson. Um, grandson, yeah. And the grandson who seems to be in charge of the archive, which is quite nice to see. Mm. Um, they refer to her as June. Now, I don't know whether that's because of the documentary, because he had, you know, um, two two other wives, or the fact is that's how they don't they don't call her mum. Do you know what I mean? It's just June. It 
But it just, and maybe I'm speculating wildly here. It just feels yeah. like the, the the children never really had a hell of a lot to do with her after after she left. Because no. Celia, Celia at one point in the documentary says that she only found out relatively recently that um, that her mother left when she was 22 months old. When Celia, yeah, was. I mean that must have been heartbreaking for her. You mm. know, that must have been. I wouldn't blame her for for not, you know, going out of her way to. I mean, I presume. Yeah, I mean, June would be dead by now, but I don't know. Does he say when? Did, do you know when she passed away? I, I don't even know if she is dead. I mean, I'm assuming she. Well, she of... must be because she'd be over 100 now, wouldn't she? Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> I suppose so. I suppose so. I'm not or, ruling it out, obviously. Or, or late 90s, late mm. 90s. But um, um, but you see, uh, Spike's biographer Pauline Scudamore, she. Uh, she sent a list of questions. We see a list of questions that Scudamore sent to June yes. in the eighties. Mm. Yeah, um, and you see June's re- handwritten replies, and there's a real, there's a real bitterness in her replies, even bit, thirty bit years. Bit venomous, later. isn't it? Especially yeah. when she describes um, being pregnant, uh, mm. and, and you know, can you take me to Because what do you expect me to do? And you think, well, was he just being? A bit moody. Was he stressed because of work, or was he in bipolar depression mode? You know, we don't know because that's that's the trouble when you read someone's writings, isn't it? It's a bit. It's sort. You know, the word "why" on a text message could be sort of like "why" or "why." Yes. You know what I mean? There's there's different connotations of what it could mean. But I've not read that. To be honest, I didn't know anything about that biography until I I watched this documentary. Um, So I'm quite interested to to go out and get. Well, once I've read all the other, I mean, I've got a pile of books that I need to read. But if it's a good biography, and it sounds like she really did the research, and the fact that she interviewed Spike, it's not one of these ones where, oh, yeah, I, I, I spoke to him for five minutes outside a bus stop. Um, if it's any good, I think I might get it. Get a hold I, of it yeah, I had the paperback of it when I was mm. younger, um, and uh, I picked it up for a couple of quid on Kindle about six months ago. Ah, right, okay. If you've got a Kindle. I don't know. I, I'm I'm a bit uh, Edwardian on that. I don't like Kindles. I like no, uh, I'm not I like physical. But so the reason why I'm sitting in this room, surrounded by, you know, London yeah. Library. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mentioned you you like David Quantic. Who doesn't? Yeah. Who doesn't? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> and there's a lovely bit where he's listening to a song because because there's a little bit of footage of the wedding Spike's uh, wedding to 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 Paddy. In 1962, yes, and George Martin, yeah. of course, was was Spike's best man. Mm. And there's a little bit about George Martin, and there's a recording that Spike comp- or a song that Spike composed and recorded in 1972 yeah. called "Little Waltz for Jane," obviously yeah. for his daughter. <laughs> um, and I'm not quite sure. D- did he? Did Spike record that and then send it to George Martin? Because yeah. Yeah, That's, okay. yeah, because he says, doesn't he? Uh, Hiya, George. Uh, this is another another one for you. It's sweet, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite cute. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It has an otherworldly quality to it, and it has that childish, childlike quality, which is good for a waltz written for a child, but also very typical of Spike Milligan. Well, that's all on this tape, George. Um, the, the piano on the second one is my own one, which is very dodgy, but it's a nice tune, isn't it? I wish someone would write me a flipping waltz. 
So you get the impression that he was recording stuff and then posing it to him to see what he'd he'd um, he'd do. But I think Quantic actually does say that um, you often think that if it wasn't for Spike and George being such good friends. And who doesn't like who doesn't you, you cannot not like George Martin? The guy is a genius, you know. Oh. And so's his son. Uh, I think his son is, is oh, yeah. equally just as good. Yeah. But the fact that George, you know, went with Spike to do all these kind of like silly stuff. And and you know, when he when George Martin did the Beatles, he was not a well-known producer at all. He was, you know, almost not looked down upon, but he was like, Yeah, give him that work because we don't want to do well, it. Well, it was almost punishment for yeah, him yeah. Uh, having an extramarital affair, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. But it, we've we've all that kind of silliness and, and that. And the Quantic says it where you wouldn't have had all those silly things in the Beatles songs, which I know I know there is a, a, a bit of a difference of people who like the early Beatles to the later Beatles, but the whole idea of, well, let's run that backwards. Let's let's have like you know cranberry sauce kind of thing going on in the background, you know, mm. and all that kind of stuff. Would would George have had those those little bits of inspiration and and gone with the the Beatles sense of humour if he hadn't have worked with Spike? You know, I don't think I don't think he would have done. I think seeing um, four working class lads from Liverpool with quite a cheeky sense of humour, um, and possibly also into you know into the the goons as well. He got it. He got it straight away, and he mm-hmm. got it because he worked with Spike, you know. Yeah. And that to have him as his best man as well. They must have had a really good relationship. Someone who was it theorised? Someone, either on this show or a, a friend of mine, has theorised mm. that Spike. Obviously, they, he was friends with George Martin, but he possibly asked George to be his best man because he was Spike was going to be meeting his his in laws for the first time. Mm. on the wedding day oh, up, right. up in Leeds okay <laughs> up in Leeds and he had to travel all the way up to Leeds and mm. um, the theory being that someone with the bearing and the posh voice that George Martin had might <laughs> impress impress them in-laws who might be a little bit mm, dubious about their new son-in-law mm. you know what I mean yeah yeah um, uh, maybe something you, you see that, that and then that, that's, you could actually see that I mean Patricia was quite quite important. I think I got the impression was 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 really quite important to to Spike, you, yes. you know, especially the fact that she passed away from cancer. So that didn't split up or anything like that. I mean, I'm I'm sure there was stuff that went on, in, but we can only go by what the mm. what the um what the documentary tells us, you know. Um, but he, he he definitely seems to have wanted to make this work, and it's probably because of the fact that his first marriage didn't work, and he probably understood more of himself at this point as opposed to still learning who he was when he was a lot younger. Well, you she, Paddy, Patricia, she knew that she was taking on three, yeah. three children, ready-made mm. children. Yeah, which, um, which which just also goes to show um, not only a legitimate love for Spike, but also um, the how much of a, a strong woman she was as well, because yeah. it's not, it can't be easy to, to go into something like that as well. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure any anybody who has uh, joined a a marriage where you've got children, it's it's always a very hard thing to. I presume I don't know, but I, I'm only guessing that it must be quite hard to do because you're always going to have that thing of somebody throwing the, the "you're not my real mom" or "you're not my, my yeah. real dad" routine at yeah. you, and and to to set that on the chin must be hard. But I just I have an ultimate admiration for her, and clearly Spike did as well. And I I I I. I, I Again, we can only go by the the documentary we're talking about. 
the kids seem to have had a lot of time for her as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, a real, a real lot of time with her, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I question whether the, the, that followed on with the, the third wife, Sheila. I'm not quite I, sure about I, that. I have. But... Uh, well, yeah. do you want my opinion now or do you want to wait? <laughs> um, before we get on to that, mm. we have um, a few clips, because obviously there's, there's a number of episodes of Q5 that are missing. There's a um, lot, yeah, because it's great to see um, Dick Fiddy from the BFI turn up, who is is well known in um, TV circles as w- one of the people who goes searching for wiped and lost episodes and stuff. And being a Doctor Who fan, uh, you know anyone else there? And that's another connection to Spike Milligan, which I, I first really kind of took notice of Spike was the. It's it's shown on loads of comedy clips where the Dalek comes in with the handkerchief on its head. You know, a lot of Doctor Who periods, my got all funny about that. I didn't. I thought that was one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. Comedy and Doctor <laughs> Who mixed together. It's the same when John Cleese and Eleanor Blum turn up in the Tom Baker episode talking about how the TARDIS is like a piece of art and then it dematerializes, you know. I love that. I love that all the time. So Spike Milligan with a Dalek, you know, as a Dalek. <laughs> he's, he's, he's absolutely... And I bet he was in that Dalek as well. Probably. <laughs> Very well. Probably. But yeah, the, I mean, he his search for the, the lost episodes, you know, I didn't realise how many of Q5 was missing. Four, I think he said. Yeah. I mean, I've got the complete, well, the almost complete queue on DVD. And there's, yeah, mm. I think there's three, there's maybe three episodes, complete mm. episodes of Q5 on that. So, yeah, there's four so, missing. So that box set is like the, the total thing from 969 to 986? Uh, to 90, it's it's Q5 uh, up to Q9. And then yeah. um, in the 80s, Q10 was known as, um, there's a lot of it about. Oh, fine. It, okay. It was. It wasn't called Q10. Ah. Uh, but it was Q at all, but name. If it and does it does it kind of um, does it is it is it worn well? Because I've only seen no no no, uh, no. Yeah. Uh, no. Let me no. There's a lot to like. There's a lot of funny stuff. If you yeah. watch all of them, you can't watch them. You can't binge watch them. You can't right, binge it. Yeah. But um, later this year, um, I'm due to do a show about. The best of Q. Now that was a mm. video that came out in the eighties. Um, right, yellow cover with Spike as Batman, I think, um, <laughs> which is excellent. And, yeah. and I am so myself and a guest are going to talk about that that VHS really the best of Q because that brings together yeah some of the best stuff. I think. And that's not been released on. DVD. DVD, I I don't think so. No, not not as far as I know. Um, So, but yeah, I mean, I I I find watching Q episodes of Q can be it can be a bit of a slog sometimes. Some of it, anyway. Mm. Um, By the way, Dick Fiddy, Dick Fiddy, (laughs) (laughs) brilliant name. Is this story true? I have been told that it it is true that Dick Fiddy, being you know um, uh, very uh, one of one of the Sort of BFI napobs, yeah, so whatever you want to call them, archivists. <laughs> um, he he obviously he he will very often present uh, or introduce special film showings and mm. um, and retrospectives, yes, and things like that. Mm. And is the story true that he 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 once um, presented a Richard Beckinsale retrospective some at some theatre somewhere in London, right? You know, obviously celebrating the the life and work of Richard Beckinsale. Yeah. Um, and Dick Fiddy chose a particular episode of Porridge to to screen. Right. Um, 
but it was it was prisoner and escort. Oh, uh, well, he's not in it. Which which Beckinsale's <laughs> not in. That's the pilot episode. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, because the, the very first, that's, that's the pilot episode, that is. That was done on uh, for Ronnie Barker's, oh, was it called? Six of... Uh, uh, seven of One, I think. Seven of One. Yeah, yeah it was that and Open All Hours, which got picked out of those yes those, uh, series to be done yeah oh man what a thing to do i remember seeing a great documentary about richard beckinsale and um he passed away when he was i, I can't tell you who i got a funny feeling it was the same director who did the long good friday i might be wrong on that but um he was doing a film when he passed away and so that obviously they had to recast it but he is in the film he's driving the car in in one scene of it oh right. and they, they deliberately kept that in it's a bit like uh harvey Keitel, uh who is in apocalypse now um, but you, you, you're not going to find him in it. He's in it. He's, he, he's, but of course, Martin Sheen um, took over from. Ah, from that, that well, role, isn't but, uh, um, isn't the, in Back to the Future? Eric, Eric Stoltz is in. Yeah, Stoltz. the uh, cafe scene. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he's in the cafe scene. Of course, and he, then... he he got what three weeks into filming as Marty McFly, and then he was fired. Mm. I know, I know, and that's fascinating. I've got a really good book. Um, all about Back to the Future. It's a massive coffee table book. It's so worth getting, and that goes into great detail on that. Mm. Um, but it's amazing when you think that they know straight away that something something isn't working. Yes, go on. If you haven't got coloured television set, don't worry. It's um, red, yellow, purple. Anyhow, I've never seen this footage. Uh, this, is, this is my mother, by the way. Uh, well, she never me. was just my mother, by the way. She's... She's here all the time. This is my dad. Dad. I think you two are meeting <laughs> He was a real good mixture of grandma and grandpa. Leo and Florence, performers, um, lunatics. <laughs> they were quite eccentric. How do you do, Captain Milligan? <laughs> nice knowing you. <laughs> I, I cannot bear people who are uncritical of, mm. of heroes. If you like, I don't think even the Beatles had their lousy songs, you know. Oh, yeah, um, Maxwell Silverhammer is. Uh... <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, if if you've got a hero of some description, whether it be music hero, comedy hero, whoever, hmm. they're more than likely got a large body of work that you can pick the best bits out of and cherish. And and you don't have to like everything necessarily. And the same goes with Spike. I don't like all of Spike stuff. Um, no, I, I, exactly, and you tend to, you then appreciate the stuff they really like. We, we, me and you was talking about Michael Caine earlier on, and how you know you you love Sleuth, and you know I like yeah. the man who would be Kings of Lab. But then you got Jaws three, and you, you've got uh, although actually one of my secret ones I really and Cal hates it is a film we did in, in I think it was ninety two with Sean Young called Blue Ice. Uh, Charlie Watts is in it actually in, in a jazz. Uh, he owns a jazz club, and it's not great, right? It isn't. It's got the worst car chase in the world ever it was literally done like me and you could do it um but there's something about it which is really good but you know you can't not turn around and say that michael michael kane's done every film michael kane's done has been brilliant no even by his own admission that he, he only did some films just so that he could pay for a holiday and there's nothing wrong in that you know if someone's going to pay you a couple of million to do a really shitty film when you think well i want mine that house in in la let's go for it but you're right you've got to be you've got to be critical about the stuff that you love otherwise you're 
you're not going to enjoy it properly, you know. No, exactly. Simple, simple enough. Yeah. And as you say, there, there's nothing worse than listening to someone who goes, oh, no, they're brilliant. It's mainly like people are like, I, I find that often with sports teams where someone's dedicated to a sports team and you dare say anything bad no. about them, you know. No. Facebook groups. Um. <laughs> oh, jeez! <laughs> not not the, not not Goonpod Facebook group, by the way, folks. Or, no, or waffle. Or waffle, or waffle. No, I know that. No. But no, I know what you mean. I have left so many, especially over the past couple of years in Doctor Who world. I, I you know, everyone has their opinions on the Jodie Whittaker era. I, I like her personally. I just thought her stories were abysmal, bar two of them. Funny enough, they were both um, historical ones, which was the Rosa Parks episode and Demons of the Punjab. Um, they were great, but the, the, the stuff that people moan about and and just bitch about, I just the amount of times I just left thinking, no, you don't like it, it doesn't matter, but don't don't moan at somebody else just because they like it. You know, they're they're Jodie Whittaker as your Tom Baker. Do you mm. know what I mean? It's like. Mm. When he gets, but that's social media, isn't it? I'd be, I'd be more than happy, and I have done quite a few times to leave every bit of social media, just walk away from a lot of it. But, and I'm sure you, you probably know this, where you do a podcast, it's pretty useful <laughs> to oh, get yeah. your, to get yeah. your podcast out of there. And then you have like on 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 your on, on your page, you know, and also on the, the the group, which I haven't participated in the group chat, though I really do enjoy reading what people say. Nine times out of ten, because it goes way above my head, I'm thinking, I'm not, I can't quote what you're quoting, it's too good. But it's great to read, because everyone's enjoyable and everyone's gets on with each other and everyone sort of like has a passion about them. But also, what I find uh, with reading some of your listeners' comments on your page is that you can be slightly critical about it and you don't get lambasted for it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's what is good about those pages and stuff like that. That's what's good about it. But there's so much more venom out there, and it's quite upsetting to read sometimes, oh, you know. Yeah. Well, you say about sometimes you want to just leave social media. Um, Elon Musk is doing his best to oh, <laughs> to encourage oh. us to leave, isn't he? Uh, he, he, he yeah, yeah, I'd leave the planet. Uh, In fact, I'll have one of his spaceships to go away from Elon Musk. You know, I mean, it's it's only a matter of time before he turns out to be something in, in a James Bond film. Or his fa- face melts. <laughs> it's only a matter of time. We'll yeah. see. We'll see the real version of him sooner or later. Him and Trump. <laughs> oh, God, really? I think I'm gonna I'm gonna throw some some in here. That's in this documentary, which I absolutely loved. And he was uh, writing a letter to because I didn't know how much because I do talk about his charity work and he's you know saved the kangaroo, saved the whales, and World Wildlife Fund and all this kind of stuff. His <laughs> activism was really prolific. But yeah. what I really do like is the fact that when he wrote to the Green Party. And the fact that he just wrote, Dear Party. Oh, yes. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was just sort of like, not Dear Sir or Who Me Magazine, just Dear Party. And I thought that was just that was just brilliant, you know. I thought that was great. <laughs> um, uh, Al Murray, obviously, mm. turns up, and it, Al's always been very keen on the wartime memoirs and, and his, oh, his yeah. wartime service. Um He's got a great podcast, Al. It's so good, yeah. isn't it? I mean, yeah. there's so there's so much content that actually it was Kel who got me into that because, yeah. uh, you know, I, I've I, I've always I've always actually quite liked Al Murray even before we did uh, the pub landlord stuff. And I've always been a bit if not not I, I have laughed at the the pub landlord. I actually find watching the pub landlord. You know, you get those things on YouTube where it's like uh, Americans react to something. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, and I've watched a few of those, maybe because we had to Frankie Boyle or Jimmy Carr, but the Al Murray stuff is brilliant. And there's one clip on there where it, I think it's Al 
has deliberately done this to show off his historical knowledge. And he says, right, shout me, shout me a country, shout me a country. And these people shout a name of a country out. And he gives them a historical fact of what Britain beat them in a war or <laughs> what it links to a war. And you know that factually Al's got it bang on, you know, and it's so clever. Yeah. But I, I love the fact that he the first thing he looks at is is all the, the, the history and the and the script of I don't know, I think it's him. No, I think it's his grandson who picks up the Hitler script, which was which was mm, when you read it. When you read it, yeah. uh, you're there going, eh. Unpublished manuscript uh, uh, written from Hitler's point of view. <laughs> this is a book written from like a first person perspective as if he was Adolf Hitler. And this has never been published either. Comedy when it relates to Hitler is a bit hit and miss. I mean, talking about camps called Butlins and the worst camps were called Pontins. So questionable comedy. You know what? That sounds like something that Mel Brooks could write. Oh yeah. And possibly get away with oh. because he's Jewish. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. You don't know, you know what I mean? And, then, and uh, it would work perfectly, you know. And then later, I mean, scrolling forward, sorry, but um, mm. Eddie Izzard reads a script that yeah. Spike's written for in the early 90s, I think, for a proposed sitcom called Over the Hill. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Which you kind of think, was Spike serious about this or was he just was it just an intellectual exercise? He was just writing it just to sort of... To get it out of his system. Exercise some mm. demons. Because it's about... the It's a proposed sitcom in which... Spike would play a version of himself being rejected for all all jobs. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's very Alan Partridge, isn't it? it There's the, you know, in the Alan Partridge's like, you know, monkey tennis talking about, yes. you know, smell my cheese kind of thing. And, yes. and it's it's a great idea, but I, I think you're probably right, you know. I think that was... It wouldn't, have, wouldn't surprise me if he had pitched it or his agent had pitched it. It's definitely a kind of like an exorcism of anger because he mentions on the tapes saying that I've clearly done something to upset the BBC. And the BBC, you know, everyone's got their opinions on the BBC, um, especially at the moment with the sacking of, well, the, the Director General leaving. But they clearly had something for him. As he does say about the old Oxbridge, you know, I didn't go to Oxford, I didn't go to university. But on that aspect... Back in the 50s and the 60s with the BBC, which is something that bothers me now to this day, you could go to uh, the head of comedy at the BBC, walk into the television centre, go to the reception and say, could I speak to the person in charge of scripts? Say, I've got this idea. And they go, yeah, there's an office upstairs. Go sit in it, write me a script. You know, I mean, obviously that that wasn't like, you know, all the time, but you could you could do that a lot of a lot of well-known tv people in the 60s came from doing that they got given an office they wrote something down and they liked what they read probably didn't make it but you know what you can go and write an episode of so and so and so and so you know you can go and write this and write that and then build their career up so you didn't have to go to university you didn't have to be in that kind of genre you didn't need to go and do writing courses and all this kind of stuff as nowadays i know because i'm a writer they prefer you to have gone through that, you know. And I think Spike is probably right. He's probably, you're getting all the, especially in the 80s, at that point you would have had not the 9 o'clock news, you know, you would have had uh, Blackadder. Oh, which, uh, which he hates. because he, he Which writes. he hates, he says that, which is, you know, to be fair, the first series of Blackadder. No, don't say a word against the no, first series of Blackadder. Right. He's, he's interesting because um, UK Gold are showing the pilot of Blackadder. Oh, it was John right? Savident in the yeah. Brian Blessed and I, role. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And so, which I, I don't think many, I don't think, I think I saw bits of it on YouTube maybe, but I've never seen the whole thing. Yeah. But I can kind of understand him not liking the first series of Blackadder. I mean, I prefer Blackadder 2 uh, well, and Blackadder 4. I, but, I would know. say the opposite. It, actually, I, I think he would possibly not object to the first series of Blackadder. I think he didn't like I he didn't like alternative what he called alternative comedy. Well Ben Elton so, influence. He certainly didn't that. like um the young ones and things like that. And I could imagine he wouldn't like the knob gags <laughs> that proliferated. Yeah, I mean I this is the thing I I mean, you know, I, I the young ones has just released that forty year documentary yeah. a friend of mine, um Lucy Brockleby who just a Vic Mal scrapbook which is great if you've never never read her blog. It is absolutely brilliant. Um, and she saw Rick and Aid do loads of stuff in the days of Dangerous Brothers and also when they did bottom recording sessions. But, I, you know, you go back and watch the young ones and it is very dated, you know, it is very yeah. dated. But you got to take it for what it is, you know. It's, it's. I think there might be a little bit of jealousy there because alternative comedy was the new comedy. It was what changed everything from, you know, the Frank Carson days and and all this kind of stuff. You know, that was the seventies where you had all the comedians. You know, that television program. Yeah. yeah. So, for, so there's a little bit. I think that Spike might have had a little bit of jealousy on that of dismissing the so-called alternative comedy at that point. I have because no doubt it's not that his, that's you know. the case. I have no doubt yeah. that's the case. No, and and there's probably still to this day, there's a, a long line of comedians who rail against the younger generations. Mm. Uh, Barry Cryer was the exception to that. Barry Cryer was always, <laughs> was always very supportive of oh, new of man. new comedians and new comedy, you know. But ba- Barry, I, you know what? what that's, you shouldn't have regrets in life. I don't, I don't, you know. Everyone does, of course. You know, they'd be, you'd be a liar if you said you don't. But I wish I'd had a couple of opportunities to go and see Barry Cry doing some a stand up talk or a, a, an in conversation with kind of thing on stage, and I never went because the funny thing about Barry Cry is the man never looked any different. No. He looked the same in the in the sixties as he did. Well, he had dark, slightly, slightly darker hair in the sixties. Have you slightly seen? darker hair? Yeah, but he always looked, yeah. you know, the same kind of thing, just slightly aged as he goes along. Maybe it's because of the fact that he was always on TV. You know, it, he always had a good story to tell. And yeah, he was a bit like the uh, the John Peel of music. You know what I mean? He was always an advocate of he anything was. new coming up. And I don't think we I don't think we have anybody of that ilk now. No, uh, no. Of, of, of maybe John Lloyd. Yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe maybe John Lloyd. Maybe. But again, where does John Lloyd come from? You know, would would does, you know did Spike like John Lloyd? Probably not. No, Probably you not. know. No, I saw I saw Barry live a couple of times actually. Um, mm. You you, cut, you come out and your face is aching just from <laughs> even though you've heard you've heard all the gags yeah before yeah. with with Barry. You know, if you listen to a, a I'm sorry, having a clue, oh. you've heard them all before. <laughs> but yeah, no. Just one, one uh, about that script, the sitcom Over the Hill, which was never, yes. which was never made. I mm. like the fact, and I'm sure there was no connection, but I like the fact that in the script, the the character that Spike would have played was offered a PG Tips advert. <laughs> that um, is brilliant, <laughs> um, because of course, um, uh, who voiced the PG Tips in the original adverts? Was it Spike? No. Who was it? Who, who, was else, it who, who else could it have been that was connected to Spike Milligan? Was it? He weren't Seacom, was it? <laughs> Peter no? Sellers. No, it wasn't. It was. Was it? Yes. Yeah, but the the trouble is, is that Sellers never used his own voice on anything. <laughs> 
Well, no, but but <laughs> it could have anyway. been anyone. <laughs> could have been anyone. I but... didn't. I didn't know that. That's. Yeah. Yeah. I probably did, but that doesn't mean. Oh no, no. I'm not going down this rabbit hole where when I go to bed I'm going to be looking at bloody PG tips. <laughs> The clock strikes four. In millions of homes, that means it's tea time. Tea time with its gleaming silver and tinkling teacups. What a happy time it is. And how fortunate the hostess who knows that her favorite tea is also the favorite of her friends. For no matter how elegant the manners or charming the company, no guest is ever really happy without the right kind of tea. Good tea. Fresh tea. Tea you can taste to the last delicious drop. It means book bum page Book, 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 bum. We touched on Sheila, his mm. third wife, um, mm. and, you, and you wanted to say something about that. Go on. I did, because I, I think I said it earlier on about when I, uh, Spike always seems to look old at one point. He looks at, my, I've changed my Facebook profile picture to, uh, yesterday to the Spike that I like. Um, well, who I, 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 I have in my head, because when she came along... And I think that was like, was it eighty three something like that. She wanted yeah. to move out of Monghurst because it reminded her of past people and all that kind of stuff. And okay, I can kind of understand that. But to move him away to almost isolation, and his own daughter—I forget which one—says that she just aged incredibly. And there's so it's so obvious. He, yeah, it is obvious. He, he's so obvious, and it's so upsetting to see because. He's gone from this very tall, strapping bloke, you know, with a, a good prominent nose, to hunched over and very weak. The voice, and the voice as well, is very. The voice goes, uh, you know, and he, yeah. it's almost, you know, everyone knows that famous cliff of him talking about our future king, yeah. um, you know, and he's like that, and it's like, and this, I have to say, because this is how I feel, but she did that to him, you know, and it's it's heartbreaking to see how he goes from and also because of it, the way he ages so much his 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 depression would have would have you know got worse as well i can't help but feel she wanted him for herself which is greed not wanting anyone else to have any part of him and just to take him away from his friends just aged him and it's such a horrible horrible way to go and i think that script of over the hill I don't know whether he wrote that when he was when he was getting old, or you know when he was not. Yeah, I think well, it was. But... I think it was the early nineties. Yeah, so yeah. there's part of me thinks that maybe in that script there's probably a little bit more about. It wouldn't surprise you if there's a bit about his family life in that. You know how he's also maybe a bit downtrodden or anything, mm. and it's mm. it's so sad. I mean, I, obviously, I don't, I don't want to go name blaming. That's not fair. Someone's got you know you've got to defend yourself on those things. But I, again, I know I keep repeating it, but it's important that we can only go by what this documentary shows, and it doesn't show her in a good light at all. No, it doesn't. No. no. Okay, so is there anything else about the documentary we've not touched on so far that before we wrap up that you want to... Uh, I think the ending. All right, you've been watching all that, so I'll ask you a question. Do you think I'm normal or abnormal? Better still, are you abnormal or normal? Is it abnormal to put clothes on to go swimming? 
Is it uh, normal for a white man to black up for a minstrel show? Or would it be normal for a black man to white up for a minstrel show? Is it normal for the Pope to be single? I mean, is it normal for me to be talking now to millions of people on television? Is that normal? Is it normal or abnormal to be a clown? Is it abnormal to be mad? Or is it mad to be abnormal? I think it's a beautiful way to end that because it kind of sums it all up, doesn't it? You know, the, the whole thing of Spike Milligan and the whole of this documentary does say, you know, sometimes you do have to question your own life. You have to question your fact, well, what is normal? You know, who wants to be normal anyway? You know, that, it's such a thing to say, especially as, like, I, I keep saying this to my, my daughter, where everyone, she's actually rebelling slightly against the norm at school and everywhere, everyone dresses the same. You know, she said the other day, how come boys all dress the same? They all seem to have tracksuits on and no style. And and she's going against that grain of what the girls in her class wear. And and she said it this year herself, because I've, I've realised that, who wants to be normal? And I thought, yeah, good for you, man. That is what it's all about. And then normal or abnormal, is it the same thing? And I think he's Spike saying that just about himself there through everything he's gone through, you know, and that whole collection of all those books, those photo albums, those scrapbooks, those reels, those films, you know, what is normal there? It's not normal, but it's certainly not abnormal. No. I thought that was a great way to end it. Wow, absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, not all not all boys wear tracksuits. Some of us wear corduroy. <laughs> Mate, we're enough. <laughs> no, there's nothing wrong with the Richard Aoyodi for world of fashion. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally, I literally turned fifty this year. I got a couple of months to go before I turn fifty. And you know what I'm excited about? Getting away with wearing a cravat. Oh yes. Oh. <laughs> Stylish. I know. I'm going for it. I've even picked one out. I'm 50 next year, so does that mean I can get a cravat too, sir? Absolutely. A cravat and a Panama hat. A Panama oh, hat at a, at a rakish angle. Exactly. <laughs> Almost slightly Dick Bogardish. I think yes. we know where we're going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we will, we will uh, cut a dash. So, Mez, it's been thoroughly enjoyable talking to you today. Oh, um, man, I, I've so enjoyed it. And I, I hope I haven't. I do have a, I do have a tendency to go. It's the reason why my podcast is called Waffle On, because I do have a tendency just to go off on tangents. So I I, I so, so apologise to you and your listeners if so, I've bored people. <laughs> so do I. And it annoys some... Oh, it doesn't really. I hope it doesn't. Anyway, but uh, this podcast my podcast goes off on so many tangents that to have someone like you on as well it's gone off sort of double tangent <laughs> yeah you got your work cut out on this editing suite <laughs> um and and listen with waffle on obviously you cover movies but also television um yeah. any, any any particular plans in the future to cover uh highway at all yeah. <laughs> you know what the funny thing is is that i i remember being really this is going to sound terrible. You know what I got confused with? <laughs> this was another drunken conversation. We were talking about Highway. And Kel was talking about Highway. And I turned around and says, I don't know why you don't like it. You know, it's a guy who's an angel who's come from heaven and meets his local. <laughs> <laughs> and he sat there looking at me going, you idiot. <laughs> because that was Aquaman or something. I can't remember what it was now. But it was Highway, um, highway, highway to, heaven. to Heaven and Highway. I, I thought, I think Seekin <laughs> would have been better in that role. <laughs> There's a surprising, surprisingly large number of people who enjoy watching Harry Seekin interviewing members of Christian Calypso groups in provincial towns. And I they... think it was it was a better songs of praise is yeah. how I, I seem to remember Highway. Um, 
It wasn't my cup of tea. Certainly, my my mom enjoyed it, but I think my mom enjoyed it because she just liked the the happiness of Harry Seacombe. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I don't think I've I think I said it earlier on. I don't think I've ever seen anything where that man is not smiling. Wouldn't it be terrible if there was a biography that came out where he was like had been a mass murderer he, or something? He History's greatest monster. You could, um, you know, there's something in that. In there, I, mean, I can't see it. Either. No, no, Mind no, you, he was nasty. He was nasty to Oliver. Let's face it. Well, he was also he wasn't a great guy in the film version of the Bed Sitting Room. Spike's film. Of oh, right. Okay, I've not seen uh, that. He he. In that, we don't see it on screen, but he murders his wife and his mother. Really? Yeah. Well, oh. not, not, well yeah. He allows them to. Yeah. Anyway, I won't. I won't spoil it. Um, well, you have. <laughs> but um, <laughs> and by the way, um, earlier before earlier you earlier you you, right. you, you earlier you said you mentioned the future king. You silly sausage. Well, yes, the of course it will be the, the coronation. Well, I know, but I slept through it. You know, oh, so like... you didn't you didn't watch it? I did. Watch, well, I watched it through my eyelids, or or possibly <laughs> Pims, or uh, uh, or some alcoholic thing. You know, uh, yeah. I uh, mm, yeah. I, my wife's really quite lucky. You know, well, I had did look forward to it. <laughs> As well, yeah, was watching it. I, I wasn't expecting him to turn up to Westminster Abbey in his in his robes, wearing one of those big oversized noses which Spike used to have in the Q series. <laughs> Thought that was a nice touch. I wonder. I, I bet you any money that mind you saying that it was made of rubber, so it was probably degraded now. But that wouldn't surprise you. If that doesn't turn up in auction somewhere along, would it? You know, because well, he always seems to have. It was a few of them, I think. Um, oh yeah, they have to. It wasn't a nosy bonk style uh, nose, though, was it? It was just it was an individual. Do you remember nosy bonk? I do. Yeah, that was <laughs> creepy. Um, uh, Spike Milligan interviewed, in quotes, interviewed Van Morrison for Q magazine in the eighties, wearing. <laughs> I can remember extra, that an extra long. <laughs> yeah version of that nose <laughs> and if anybody needs a sense of humor it's van morrison <laughs> yes yes indeed. Oh, uh well listen meds thank you so much and uh we've already touched on the fact that you may return i'm sure you will return i'd love yeah, you to return be great. In the future yeah and talk about if not <laughs> if, not the... yeah, if there's a petition to for me not to come back on, I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, if, if not to talk about the <laughs> the Barry McKenzie movie, <laughs> then, <laughs> then maybe something else. I'll be more than happy to, mate. That'd be great. Thanks again to Meds. Waffle On can be found in all the usual places. I cannot recommend it highly enough. If you like the sort of thing that I do on Goonpod, and obviously you've heard Meds on this show, um, I think it'd be right up your street. So please seek it out. So I'll be back next week. Until then, take care of yourselves. See you soon. Bye.